The million dollar question, how do entrepreneurs transition from self-employed to owning a business that turns a profit? My name is Chris Waters, and this podcast has the million dollar answer. Welcome to CEO Secrets. Hey guys, it's Chris Waters. Welcome to the show. This is CEO Secrets. I'm your host, Chris Waters. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Dr. Troy Hall. He is a expert in talent retention. Uh, he's got his PhD in entrepreneurship and global leadership. If you're watching, if you're, excuse me, if you're listening to this, maybe you're watching it on Facebook Live, I would encourage you to write in the comment section. Again, if you have any questions, for those of you that are not members of our Facebook group, go look up the Chris Waters Rainmaker Alliance. This is a private closed group for people that have real estate brokerages that are, or maybe you have a real estate team you're trying to build up. It's a closed group. So you'll have to ask for an invite to get in, but you can also watch this on YouTube if you'd like. I'm Dr. Troy Hall. Welcome to CEO Secrets. Thank you. Well, it's not going to be much of a secret today, right? Because we're going to be sharing stuff. That's right. Well, I'm I'm hoping to dig, I mean, a PhD, that's pretty, you know, that's hardcore. That's a lot of schooling. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that claim to be experts on uh, retention, culture, things of that nature, but very few people that have probably gone through the rigorous process of getting a PhD. So thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. You're too kind. Thank you. Well, I understand you have a book coming out in May of this year called Cohesion Culture, Proven Principles to Retain Your Top Talent, specific to the word secrets. Um, what can you share with us in the audience? What, what are some of the key things you're excited to share with the world in, in this book you have coming out? Well, good. So, you know, the interesting thing about secrets is sometimes it's wrapped around rumors. So I think you actually were being, I think you were being influenced by a rumor. So the rumor is, you know, actually the truth is, the book Cohesion Culture, Proven Principles to Retain Your Top Talent, <laughs> it was actually introduced in October of 19. It's the basis of the consulting and the executive coaching work that I do. The follow-up book, one of the, I have three in a series, but this third book is that's launching in May is called Fanny Rules, Nine Lessons Behind the Making of a Leader. It's a tribute to my mother's leadership wisdom that she passed along to me as a 12-year-old boy at her bedside as she suffered through cancer. So that is what, the message. What, it's a mentoring book, which is a support to the cohesion culture uh, and those principles. So, so I can tell you lots of things about either one of those two books. Maybe well, we start. I'm, with- I'm, I apologize for that. I got that mixed up. I, I knew you had a book coming out. That's my fault. Cohesion culture is already out. But for anybody that hasn't read that book yet, Cohesion Culture, kind of give us the Cliff Notes version of what the book's about and sure. what, what in, and most importantly, what inspired you to write it? Well, let's first start, start a little bit about what the book is, since that's the first question. And then I think maybe from there, you'll, you'll begin to understand why I might have been inspired to write it. So a cohesion culture is specifically a work environment where individuals have a sense of belonging, they are valued, and they share in mutual commitments. That's a cohesion culture. And the opportunity in presenting this material to organizations and what I help them do is to understand that not every culture that you create within your work environment is exactly the same, but if you can add a cohesive element into your culture, then it goes a long way to retaining talent. And one of the things that really inspired me, aside from the fact that I feel like I'm a storyteller, 
and that there's messages to give. And I'm a trainer. I love mentoring and working with people. So providing that cohesion culture book and the framework for it was important to help people retain talent. When I did some research in like, what were the books that were available? There's a lot of books about acquisition, telling you how to get people, telling you how you can possibly even do some training and some onboarding. But very few books actually really work on the title of talent retention. Now, some of them will claim that they talk about it, but they don't really delve into it. So to really retain the talent is, in my feeling, one of the important things because organizations say all the time that employees are their greatest assets. But yet when you ask them, what do they do for an individual who has been with the organization after the initial, I've now brought you in, Sometimes very little activity is done. There's more of an acceptance that the individual should know what they're doing. They should already be developed. Maybe we'll, we'll have a little bit of conversation about that. But it is important because 63% of all employees in organizations look for some form of advancement or growth and development. And if you're not putting it in place in your organization, you are in fact forcing them to go somewhere else. So that's, I guess, really what inspired me to write it was that there was a message to tell and there was information that people needed to know and putting a cohesion culture together that included belonging, value and mutual commitment is very important. So I've heard um, psychologists say that in all areas of life, we all as humans find happiness through upward trajectory in whatever area of life that might be. For example, relationships, our careers, et cetera. And so I'm kind of curious, like, you know, when, when you think about the priorities, for example, of a CEO or a business owner, and you're, you know, you're trying to figure out how to improve retention, is there a silver bullet? Is it a plethora of things? And then if, if there is a plethora of things, what's that priority list look like? What's at the top of it? Is there a silver bullet? Like is the silver bullet the advancement, you know, creating upward trajectory from an advancement perspective for people? Yeah. Give me some clarity on that. Good. So a couple of things. So just clarify on this upward trajectory or this happiness or satisfaction. It really boils down to a few things. So first of all, to have people get to a spot where they can, what we call self-actualize, they have to handle their basic safety and security issues. So paramount to any organization is making sure that it's a healthy organization and that people don't feel that their safety comes into question. So specifically today, as we're dealing with the pandemic, CEOs really needed to make sure they stepped it up and said, we're going to take care of our employees and our consumers, our clients, the people we're gonna deal with, put that safety and security first so individuals could then focus and self-actualize. Because if not, we get stuck in this rudimentary idea of having to protect ourselves and protect things around us. So we have that happening. So let's assume though, that we go beyond that and we say things are, somewhat normalized, and that isn't now of most concern for us. So a leader of cohesion uh, really adopts seven attributes of effective leadership, and it would be important for that leader to focus on them. Just like Jim Collins talked about in Good to Great, humility was the level five leader. It's like to get to the highest spot in leadership was those leaders practiced humility, and those leaders that had humility could extend their leadership and extend their organization for longer periods of time. They weren't just a startup and then burn out and fizzle out like a sparkler. They actually were a little bit longer in their life cycle. 
So with that, seven attributes of an effective leader is what I ask leaders to focus on. Uh, you have to first approach it from a transformational perspective. And here's the real great news about transformation. And I know that your folks that deal with real estate are going to love this. It's about focusing on someone else. So when you go into the real estate, if you are only focusing on your commission and what you're going to get from real estate, the likelihood is you're not going to make a sale. You're not going to make a connection because the, how you sell property is the relationship that you have with individuals that builds the trust so that the product that you offer or the service that you offer is then felt trusted by the individual so that you can move forward. If you're only focusing on what's in it for you and not focusing on the other person, then it's, it's not going to work. So those seven attributes first begin with teachability. And the question is, is, is the leader teachable? Does the leader believe that their thoughts and their ideas are the greatest and the best? I'm not suggesting that the leader shouldn't have a vision. That's important. But do they actually think that they already know everything? My mother used to say to me, she says, she said, Troy, it would be much better for you to be a Mr. Learn-it-all than a Mr. Know-it-all. So <laughs> learn information. And then the idea of wisdom comes from you applying what you learn. So if you're teachable, that's the first concept because then these other six attributes now all start to play and work together. The next one is compassion. Do you show compassion for people? Do you know what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes or have you even thought about it? And then grace. Will you extend grace to another person, which is nothing more than the unmerited favor that you give to someone else without conditions, without strings attached, without any conditions or requirements? Will you extend grace? Will you seek the truth? Leaders who seek the truth know that they are grounding their opinions with facts, which allows their statements and the actions that they take to have a stronger and more powerful uh, position for, with other individuals because they know that it's truthful. And that also helps build that trust element. Then humility, which is practicing the way that you respect others, the way you interact and deal with other people. You know, it's interesting when you talk about humility, as soon as you say you're a humble person, you've actually violated the whole thing of humility. So the idea is that you just have to do it and don't tell anybody, you just do it. Um, so <laughs> humility is, is your fifth. And then your sixth one is your pure intentions. Are you authentic and genuine in what you do? And there's a difference between a leader who is authentic and a leader who is synthetic. And the synthetic leader is the one who, is, who, who does things because they're tricks and techniques and tips. And authentic is a person who believes in the concepts of what these tips and techniques will bring about. And the only reason to employ them is so that they can create the relationship that they need to have with other people. And then the last is making peace. Will leaders actually come to an opportunity to create compromise with the people that they work with? So often what we find in leadership today is that we push people to the left and to the right. We create opposing forces. And what we may have is an element of peace on one side and an element of peace on the other. But to truly have the harmonious spirit of people interacting together, then they have to have peace, which is what I say is in the middle. People have to move to a space that neither person previously occupied to have peace. So if a leader can embody those seven attributes, they can be effective in what they do. And that will lead to retaining talent. Why? Because people want to be with people like that. I don't know if you heard me, but um, that's, what, that's what our presidents need to be working on. 
uh, without making any political commentary one way or another, everyone needs to be working on it. Yeah, this is great. Huh. I'm digesting everything you said. Well, I appreciate that. I hope Thank everybody you. listening to this, I hope everybody listening to this took some notes. You may have to hit uh, rewind and listen to that again. Um, again, for anybody that's plugging in via Facebook, in the Facebook group, watching this live, put any questions you have in the comments section for Dr. Troy Hall, anything specific to uh, retaining talent within your organization. I, I have a question I'll throw at you, which is probably something the audience might be thinking. So let's say you, all of those, you know, attributes, you are exuding all of those attributes you mentioned as a leader and let's say you have salespeople that are leaving your organization because they think the grass is greener somewhere else from a financial perspective. Right. And the, and when these people leave, I mean, they're emotional, you know, they're like crying. They're like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, like, I don't want to be leaving. Like, how do you, from a leadership perspective, like if you're hit, if you're hitting all the things you mentioned, how do you overcome that whole idea of the, you know, the, the grass is greener and, and let's say it's, you know, in this case, financial related, like, how do you overcome yeah. that? Well, I would attribute a little bit of this. So I'll kind of give you some more background and then maybe we can talk about some specific, um, you know, suggestions, more of more ideas, techniques. The first thing I'll say is Simon Sinek has a message that he speaks about fulfillment. And when he says that an individual is fulfilled in what they do, and they're fulfilled, meaning that their passion and their purpose comes in perfect alignment in an organization. And they will then start to love where they work. And the research tells us that if you love where you work, 87% of the people who love where they work are willing to stay there, that they will sacrifice sometimes financially for what they will receive. Now, it's possible that the leader has these attributes, but the organization isn't operating on all cylinders. That's why the cohesion culture framework, the strategic framework of belonging, value, and mutual commitment has to be in place. Now, first of all, it's not perfect. So we're not going to tell you it's not utopian, right? So you have all these things in place and people still chase money. So one of the things that I might think about is when these individuals are hiring, when CEOs are hiring or the hiring group is, is bringing people into the organization, what are they looking for? Are they looking for individuals who fit in culturally to the organization who want a fair uh, income? Or are they chasing individuals who are price sensitive? You know, remember that if you buy by price, you will always be buying by price. So when you buy an employee by price, you will constantly be satisfying them by price. So I think it, it's helpful for you to understand this information, but you have to then apply it into all of it. And you have to have HR systems and practices and processes in place that allow this to work, not just one-offs here and there. So overall, you know, individuals, obviously, if they're crying because they're leaving, then they felt like they possibly belonged and they had value. Maybe they had mutual commitment, but they just wanted more money. And sometimes that's just a you know, it's just the breaks of business. People wanted more money than they go. I think the opportunity for those leaders would be to say is, how do they keep the door open? So if the individual needs to come back, do they give them an opportunity to come back? You know, sometimes people make mistakes and they go out and they find that it's not greener on the other side. 
um, and they, they need to, to come back. So I think there's a lot of dynamics that's involved. And so it's really hard to, to maybe take a concept like this and generalize it too much, mm-hmm. uh, but, to, but to give you some, some framework. So what I would still do though, is don't stop doing the right things just because it didn't work for everyone. Mm-hmm. It is the right thing to do. So in a lot of businesses, you know, you can't be all things to all people. And there's definitely a value proposition in terms of what the organization can offer to personnel and employees within it. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like, let's say for people watching this or listening to this that are in the real estate industry, they need to be aware of what their value proposition is and where they fall short from a value proposition and realize you know, this may just be part of the business cycle when you lose people because your value proposition and the business you're operating, you know, it just, it comes to a, it comes to an end. Right. And um, the question is, you have to ask yourself, so how much energy is the leadership within the real estate company putting into the individuals? For instance, how much development opportunity are they giving them? Do they just assume that after they've gone through their education and they receive certification to sell homes that the work is done, and now everything is just based on my recognition. If you base your entire relationship, if you and I had a relationship and we worked together and you were my boss, and the only time that you talked to me was when I either did something wrong or something great, like, oh, I received a recognition. Oh, great. You sold that house. Great. You did this real estate. Great. You did that thing. And I might feel really good about it, but we then don't have an authentic relationship. We have a synthetic one. So we might want to take a look at what are we doing to create authentic relationships where I really get to know more about why do you want to belong here? Why do you want to spend time in this organization? What are your goals, dreams, and aspirations, which lead to the mutual commitments? This is the one thing that most companies get wrong. They spend thousands of dollars bringing individuals into their organizations, and they don't treat them like top talent. They treat them like they're, they court them like they are these wonderful uh, examples of workers until they get them inside the organization. And then all of a sudden the honeymoon is over and individuals now just go into this rope program. So you have to ask yourself how much effort and energy are individuals actually giving to these folks working in, in the company? And there, ha- there has to be more than just extrinsic values. But I can't downplay the fact that some people are motivated by the money they make, the status they make, and you know, and the position they have. It's why we don't have 100% of people who love their job stay. That's why there's only 87% that the other 13% are, are, are changing and moving. So one of the things I would also do is ask these individuals, instead of getting all broken up about the fact that they have some turnover, is to look at what is the percentage of turnover? Are they actually retaining more talent than than what they're leaving? And do they really understand why a person is leaving that organization? And are they putting in the learning and the opportunities for advancement and development and and growth that individuals want to have? So those are some of the questions that that leader needs to ask themselves. I just wrote that, I typed it in my notes. That is an incredible nugget right there that you just shared. I think it's so easy to, as a, as a, maybe a business owner or a leader, or, you know, uh, you know, if you have managers underneath you, you know, it's so easy to get so focused on what the organization needs and not the needs of the people within, within the organization. And, and that question of, you know, what do you hope to get out of being a part of this organization? That kind of survey question, that's a, a great little nugget for anybody when they're, when they're doing, 
you know, accountability sessions, for example, or even during the interview process, you know, because that, that's going to help you, as you mentioned, uh, fulfill that mutual commitment that the organization has to the employee or, or the employee has to the organization. Exactly. And what you want, every uh, leader wants engaged employees. And I often say that what happens is leaders are lulled to sleep by the engagement lullaby. They think that they can observe engagement by individuals who come to work on time, who do what they're supposed to do, and maybe don't bother the boss very much. And they go, wow, I want to have more people like them. The reality is that you can't observe engagement. If what I just described you observed, what do you have? You have a person who comes to work on time, does what they're supposed to do, and doesn't bother me very much. But you don't know if you have an engaged employee. You know that you can have an engaged employee when you have cohesion. And that's the reason that another reason why I bring it to this consulting realm for folks to know is that you need to build cohesion because cohesion is a causal phenomenon. It means it's a cause and effect. It's not correlational. Correlational data is when you take two pieces of information and you can have a high statistical probability that they either relate or don't relate, but they don't cause each other. They just have a relationship. If you want to have predictive behavior, you need a causal phenomenon, such as cohesion. Cohesion causes performance. And the level of performance that you get when you have a cohesive team is the engagement that everyone looks for. So instead of trying to observe these behaviors of individuals of coming to work and doing their job and don't bothering me too much, observe whether they feel that they belong. Are they faking it? Do they actually participate? Do they do extra things? Do they feel that, do they give of themselves or do they take more? So how do they belong? And, and here's the good news. Belonging isn't unusual. It's part of our DNA. We are built and designed to be with other people. We want to cohabitate. Why do we have podcasts? Because we want to be with other people. We want to learn from other people. We want to be involved with people. Otherwise, we just do it all by ourselves. So we've got that going for us. So, but now we have to just say, what have we done to put that in place? And when we create value in an organization, it's not just that we respect the person, but their job has meaning. Everyone wants to work someplace where what they do makes a difference. It's not just getting a paycheck. Even individuals who just need to get a paycheck still would love to have a job that could make a difference. And it's up to the leader's responsibility to connect the jobs. And so the question goes back to the individuals who are leaving, grass is greener on the other side. Does the leader take time to connect what that person does to other people within the organization? The leader should not assume that individuals can connect the dots people don't always connect the dots. Mm -hmm. And then we get into this mutual commitment and it starts with the leader committing to the individual first and the individual will then commit back to the organization. It is, that is the biggest area of mistake for organizations when they bring new talent into their company. They thought they were on a path to be considered the top talent, to be someone that would be well thought of in the organization and they get handed a pen, a pencil, where the bathroom is and showing a workstation it has to go beyond that i hate to put you on the spot like this i'm just kind of curious so number one where can people pick up a hard copy of the book and is there a place where somebody could get a digital version of your book maybe if there's could we sure. do a little giveaway a little yeah. giveaway if people put their email in the comments of the facebook a live post 
you can send them a copy of your your book, like a digital version? Sure. So the book is Cohesion Culture, Proven Principles to Retain Your Top Talent. It's available on Amazon. By the way, it's a best-selling title, so you'll be able to find it on Amazon. You can also get a Kindle version on Amazon as well. So that would be your form of electronic version uh, that you can get uh, for that. So, But if you're doing some uh, special things in your area, um, let me know. I'll send you a few books and okay. uh, give them out. Great. Okay. So we've spent the last 20 minutes talking about the first book you published, the new, the book you have coming out in May, Fanny Rules, Nine Fanny Lessons Rules. Behind the Making of a Leader. Tell us a little bit about that book. Sure, I will. So Fanny is my mom's nickname. So in the book, I share a little bit of a stories about this. So the premise of the book is it's a mentoring guide. And it was, my mom was, was really my best mentor ever. And there were so many life lessons that she taught me. I was from a very poor family in West Virginia. We grew up probably not even knowing how to rub two nickels together, but we made things work. Uh, my mom was the type of individual who believed in, 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 in certain things so much that she wanted to pass them along. And when I was 12, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And the area in which we lived, there was not much in the form of education or medical advancement. And at the time, remember, this is 50 some years ago, you know, when you were told you had cancer, the likelihood is that death was imminent. And certainly for us, we thought that we thought mom was going to die. But one of the things that occurred is uh, mom had her surgery and I nursed her back at her bedside when I was 12. And so mom passed a lot of this wisdom along to me. Uh, dad was the caregiver. Uh, you know, in his case, he had to provide and protect the family. Mom was the nurturer and the caregiver. And so I had to be there with mom so that dad could, could go out. So the book talks about leadership lessons. So I'll give you one of them is this. Mom used to tell me that character is defined by choices not circumstance, and that everything that I choose to do will define the person that I am, and that I can be anything I want to be, just be sure to be the best at whatever I choose to be. And don't believe that because we were from a poor family that I couldn't aspire to something else. Just That's just one lesson that mom would teach me. And another one, lessons, and these were manifestations of mom's teaching. So I'm going to put them into my language a little bit, but I give mom credit because she sourced it. You know, when we were talking about in leadership before in the cohesion culture, uh, one of the things that I, I talk about, and that is the truth is in the I am, not the someday I will be. And it's about you claiming who you are today for who you wanna be in the future. Because a couple of things that we know for sure is this, when we speak, we create life. So all of our words around us reinforce the environment in which we live. If we say we're having a crappy day, likelihood we'll prove ourselves right and have a crappy day. I'm not saying that crappy things won't happen, but you don't have to allow that crappy day to dictate who you're going to be in those moments. And so the truth is in the I am is really not about faking something, but it's about making a personal declaration today of who you are. Do you want to be a good leader? Do you want to be a good person? Do you want to be a good astronaut? Do you want to be a good worker? Do you want to be a good artist? Do you want to be a good, you know, whatever the term is, claim it today, knowing that you fully are a work in progress for where you're going to be in the future. But now you know where that future is. And the difference between the present tense of I am and the future is a snap of a finger. Because as soon as this moment is over, I'm into the future. 
So the opportunity for you to create and to claim a future that you want, it's to be in the I am. These are the lessons that my mom taught me. She also told me this. She said that, that you cannot be a victor of your future if you are held captive by your past. That if I allowed the past of being in this family and the conditions that got us there, and I stuck to that, I would never be a victor of the future that I hope to claim in the I am. So probably a lot more complicated than we have time on the podcast today, but those are some of the rich nuggets of wisdom that came from a woman with a 12th grade education, but she had wisdom well beyond her years. And this is my opportunity yeah, to pay a legacy, you know, pay tribute to the legacy of mom's wisdom. Just out of curiosity, where did your mom pick up all, all of this wisdom? Did she, you know, it's, you said she graduated, she, um, she's 12th grade. Yeah. A high school, yeah. high school diploma. And I will tell you where she, where, where mom, mom was a, a woman of God. So she was a very faithful woman. And for her, she would spend hours and hours, um, just going through the Bible and so I believe that for her, this is wisdom that she acquired through readings, uh, you know, that were associated in those ways. And if you think about what I've talked about, it's just, these are things that people already want to do. They just don't necessarily know to be directed. And for whatever reason, mom had the capacity to be able to do that. And so the book is filled with a number of teachable moments. Um, and these teachable moments allow you to use them in a mentoring pr- capacity so that you can mentor yourself so you could do a DIY program or you can use it in conjunction with someone else so really your real estate folks would love this because the book will allow you at the end of each of the rules you'll be able to go through a series of questions and be able to interact with each other and then of course the teachable moments are recapped as part of the the end there's no chapters there are rules right otherwise it would be nine chapters behind the making of a leader so instead it's the rules which are the lessons and inside each of the rules are a number of lessons that mom taught that taken with me kind of throughout my life. I'm kind of curious, you know, what your thoughts are on this. So a lot of people have said that a lot of the leadership books out for you to pick up and buy are, you know, the author rewriting things that are essentially things you can read about in the Bible. It's very possible. I can't speak to all of them since I don't have the, the knowledge for all of those. But what I would say is this, that Many of the things that we should do are very common sense and very practical. If you think about it, it's like the relationship I talked about before with the cohesion culture, right? It's about treatment of people. You know, it was always about how you treated someone. Mom didn't care whether you were the CEO, whether you were the assistant to this, whether you were the cashier, whether you were the janitor. She said, you treat everyone with respect because They've all had some sort of life issues that would have occurred. So for me, she embodied compassion and, uh, and grace uh, that would be extended. So I think a lot of these particular items, I think a lot in, in good leadership are really the right things to, be, to do. And you can source the truth of those, whether you want to source them from a biblical standpoint or you want to ground them in something that is practical, that makes sense as what you might, might consider even being you know, conventional wisdom. I mean, I'm not downplaying it, uh, but at the same time, what I'm saying to you is that often we know the right thing to do, but sometimes we just don't do it because our focus is, is misdirected. So if we can guide our focus into thinking about someone else before ourselves, then we are in the mindset of being a transformative leader being able to do that. So that's why this book, Fanny Rules, is such a nice complement to cohesion culture. 
Norwegian culture broke up the concept into three distinct sections. The first was about the leader, first two chapters on the leader. Second two is about the culture and what happens and the interactions there. And then the last two chapters is about putting it all together. And then the Fannie Rules book is a complement to that because it now becomes, it takes those first two chapters and really expands the leadership and gives an individual the, the introspective that they may need to think through some of these topics and concepts and help them figure out the right thing to do is always focusing on someone else. And, you know, I've always found that in my life that I never worried about what was going to happen to me when I spent time working with someone else. And it's why I spent so much time on mentoring. Um, and I guess for my life, I just, I've worked and created a number of mentoring programs and now this executive coaching and helping people to achieve success. It's all about what happens for them. I'm always taken care of in, in the process, but for me, every engagement is always about them. So two things, one, your, your mother sounds like an amazing human being and I, that's, it's an amazing tribute, your book to your mom. That's awesome. Thanks. Um, speaking of uh, the executive coaching you do, tell me more about that. You know, I guess with COVID, is that something you do on Zoom with folks you work with sure. uh, leaders, executives, you know, to help them in their organizations? Yes. So actually I, I, I have a, a number of clients really not only around the country, but I have a few around the world. So really uh, was been, I've been able to exercise this uh, global aspect. You know, part of it was I went after a global leadership and entrepreneurship degree, and I wanted to make sure that what I did was global. It was, I felt like it was, it was kind of synthetic, right? If I were going to say, Hey, I'm a global leader, but I haven't talked to anybody in any other country and I haven't done any work anywhere else. It'd be like, well, that's kind of contradictory in the sense of sort of like, Oh, I take the label that I get here and I don't make anything happen. And so I worked with that. So the executive coaching opportunity is, is working with leaders because the leadership definition I work under is this, it's to motivate influence and enable others to be successful. And to really do that, you've got to get into that person and figure out for them, what does success mean to them? What do they want to uh, achieve? And, you know, I guess, you know, you think about secrets here, you know, give away some of the secret sauce. I would say to you, Chris, that the things that you don't achieve, you are stopped by something. And the opportunity is to figure out what is it that stops you from achieving what it is that you want to do. More than likely, you have all the talents and the skills to acquire it and to make it happen. But something within you causes you to either doubt or to um, misdirect or something else. And so, you know, working with me is an opportunity to help me allow people to focus. And the good news is you're going to know this. When you work with me, it's not about anything other than, than your success. I'm really focused on you and, and making sure. So uh, sessions that we work on together are all around activities that uh, are important to you. And, and we really craft it that particular way. What are the goals that you want to achieve? I have some clients who simply want to improve some of their communication. Some of them want to include, want to improve their personal branding. Uh, some of them want to actually talk about, um, you know, business transactions. I have 40 plus years uh, working in the financial services industry. So I have an understanding of some complex uh, concepts and I can work the leader through those those concepts, whether it be they want to expand into a new market or they want to analyze a product they want to look at. And um, 
I, I kind of like to think of myself as the as sort of the Jeopardy game, right? I put information out and they ask the questions. And so we kind of work and you become teachable and understand things just through our interaction. So uh, hopefully, I, I know it was a lot of talking, but that was the, no, that's, that's the concept. That was great. I, think, I hope something people that are listening picked up on is something that um, I actually was just reading about this morning. I'm going through the book James Clear wrote called Atomic Habits. And I've found myself rereading the first couple chapters multiple times. And one of the things he uh, talks about in the book in terms of building habits, you know, positive habits is it starts with changing your identity. A lot of people focus on what the outcome is that they want to achieve versus thinking about, you know, how do they need to change their internal identity? He gives an example of, a, of um, somebody that, I forgot what the example is, I'm, and I'm going to totally butcher this, but it's kind of like, if you want to lose weight, instead of thinking about the outcome of like being 20 pounds thin, uh, skinnier, think about like, you know, throughout the day, ask yourself, what would a skinny person do, a skinnier person or someone that weighs less, what would they do in a, a situation like this? Like ask yourself that throughout the day you know, to help you, you know, make sure you're making the right decisions and emerging into this new identity to help you get that tangible outcome at the end. So that's a great little nugget uh, you just mentioned. And from my perspective, I've, I've always had like a difficult time, I think clearly articulating what the value of one-on-one -on -one coaching is. Like there's a lot of digital courses out there and a lot of products you can buy and a lot of books. But the one thing that all of those things cannot do is really understand what's going on with you individually and like understand all the nitty gritty details of what's going on inside your head to really help you create some self-awareness around like, for example, how your identity needs to shift in order for you to get your, the outcome you want. Cause a book is not going to help you have self-awareness. A digital course is not going to help you have self-awareness. Right. It's got to come through a one-on-one -on -one coaching um, environment where somebody can get to really know, you know, your strengths and weaknesses and help yeah. you, you know, have that self-awareness. So yeah. how, how can people learn, man, I'm going to look into this myself personally with you. Um, Absolutely. I, I want to learn more of your, I want you to learn more about me so you can enlighten me on the, the nuggets to help improve retention. Where, where can uh, myself and everybody watching this, where can they learn more about how to work with you on a, from a one-on-one -on -one coaching? Uh, well, I appreciate that. So they would find me at drtroyhall.com, drtroyhall.com. There's a uh, connect opportunity there through the website and they can reach me there or they can email me directly at drtroyhall at gmail.com. So uh, it's drtroyhall.com or drtroyhall at gmail.com. They can reach me either way and then we can connect. I'm also in social media platforms at drtroyhall. So it's pretty easy to kind of uh, make it uh, as effortless as possible. One of the things, Chris, I wanted to say to you was that what you were expressing in that last little uh, clip is self-discovery. And that's what your DIY programs cannot do necessarily is be able to validate self-discovery because you spoke it outwardly. And so we have a dynamic opportunity to now converse on it and to, to really challenge it. And so part of what really makes an executive coaching special with me is that I listen to what people say. I told you earlier that you speak your environment based on what you say. So how you encompass what you want. The fact that you want to learn, that you want to develop, that you want to grow is that you are going to create an environment where you surround yourself by individuals who do that. I would suggest that's how you came about the podcast. It was so that you could actually 
acquire more information and then selflessly you wanted to share it with someone else you didn't want to hog the you don't want to be an information hogger you don't want to hoard it you wanted to have it move forward and so what happens is the acquisition of knowledge is reading it doing it yourself gathering it through those areas and and that's okay that's the acquisition of knowledge wisdom and my mom taught me this wisdom is the application of the knowledge and trying it out and hearing how what others say and what others do and, and working it. So when you work with me, it's not a magic pill. It's not something where all of a sudden you're gonna tell me three things and I all and I give you, you know, alakazam, here you go, you're done. It is a dynamic involvement that has to be contributed to by you. You have to say, you have to tell me, you've got to speak life and existence. And I will tell you that your framework, your mindset is going to make a big difference. So going back to these CEOs and talking about what they what they have and what they want to do to, to uh, retain talent. If they say, I can't keep anybody in my organization, then chances are they're going to prove themselves right. So what they need to be focusing on is how do I keep? So what would it imagine and what would it be like if I were a company that I could keep all the people? What would that be? That's that same conversation that you had before. And it's about visualizing. So it's about thinking for myself. It's about getting my mind because here's the other thing. You cannot serve the many until you serve the one. And there's going to be a lots of complexities that we unpeel that onion for a lot of things. But I would say to you, and for those listening today, that until you, the leader, get it right, how can you possibly serve anybody else? You have to pour into yourself. You've got to make sure that you are right. That's why you need people like me. And that's why I need people like you. And I will grow from my interchange and my interactions with others. I'm, I'm not the person, same person I was 10 years ago. I have evolved because of my interactions with people. I have allowed myself to be vulnerable with others. And I have allowed myself to learn from them. And to be teachable means that I have to accept things that you are going to contribute to me and not just think of myself as the expert, the wise old owl sitting on the tree, eating a Tootsie Pop, and saying, how many licks can you get to the center of the Tootsie Pop? <laughs> to hey, quick question for you. What was your dissertation on to get your uh, PhD? Oh, strangely enough, it was on cohesion. <laughs> ah. It was on group dynamics and cohesion. And that's, you know, really that's what happens when you do your PhD. It's like, what do you want to be known for? And so for me, my work is in that, in that area of having teams and, and individuals working together. I mean, I spent 40 years, as I said, in the financial services industry, and I've always worked with people, worked with these units of individuals within uh, a company, and then also all those units forming the company. And so it made perfect sense for me to, uh, to approach that. And, and I was just attracted to cohesion because it's exactly what I thought about that framework of belonging, value, and mutual commitment. And do we have time for one more thing before we go? Sure. Yeah, go for it. Okay, good. So I want to equate the cohesion culture and chocolate cake. I want to leave, leave our audience with a little bit of fun today. Okay, so you're going you're gonna to have to help me with this, okay? Okay, let's do it. All right, so, so sometimes when I talk about this, people think that every organization will be exactly the same because they have the framework of, of belonging, value, and mutual commitment. So here it is with chocolate cake. So Chris, have you eaten chocolate cake before? Yes. Okay. Have you eaten more than one piece of chocolate cake? Yes. Okay. I will not ask you if you've eaten more than one piece in the same sitting. So we know that you've had more than one piece of chocolate cake. <laughs> All right. Now, would you say that in your tasting of chocolate cake, are they exactly alike? 
not always. No, they're familiar. Yeah. Because if you think about chocolate cake, chocolate cake has three primary ingredients aside from the cocoa. It has eggs, milk, flour. You can make them with cage-free or cage-fed eggs. You can have uh, brown eggs. You can have egg substitutes. You can have egg whites. You can just use the yolk. You can have almond milk, coconut milk. You can have vitamin D. You can have one, two, three percent. I mean, so you've got these options. You've got gluten-free fire. You've got so how you mix these items together will produce your chocolate cake. So how your organization thinks about belonging, value, and mutual commitment will create that special chocolate cake that's just for their employees. Hmm. That's good. That's great. It's a great analogy. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, guys, if you're tuning in for the first time, be sure to hit that subscribe button. If you're watching this on the Facebook group, I'm, I've been watching the comment section. We've got a few people that have put in their email addresses for a copy of your book, Cohesion. And um, do me a favor, Dr. Troy Hall, if you could just stay on after we close out. I'm going to sure. um, ask you to send some books to us. And so for you guys that commented on the um, uh, in, in the comment section here in the Facebook group, I will uh, uh, ping you guys, get your address, and we'll send you a copy of Dr. Troy Hall's book. Um, Dr. Troy Hall, thank you so much for being on the show. This was um, This was... This was incredible. You know, I, I think anybody trying to grow an organization, if you ask yourself, you know, what if what if your retention rate got reduced by 10, 20, 30 percent? You know, how much bigger would your organization be? I think everybody would equate that to, you know, the organization having more success financially, et cetera. Um, and so uh, I think we have we have a lot of different type of people that are uh, listening to this right now. But, you know, I think the, 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 the things you're talking about, these are just, God, I, whether, you're, whether you're starting your business or you already have one, these are things you need to be, to lear- you need to be learning about to execute. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm excited to get a copy of your book and, um, you know, look forward to getting your, your new one, Fanny Rules. And I will, uh, again, reach out to you. So hang out, uh, hang out for just a second here so that I can um, uh, give you my address so we can get some copies of this book and ship it out to a few folks. But again, for you guys tuning in, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Check out uh, Dr. Troy Hall. You can go to, again, go to his website. It's uh, drtroyhall.com. And you can email him uh, drtroyhall at gmail.com. And again, uh, Dr. Troy Hall, thank you so much for uh, being on CEO Secrets today. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome, man. Um's the word. All right, guys, until next time, uh, be sure to tune into CEO Secrets for some more amazing guests to come. And um, don't forget to subscribe to our Facebook uh, group, Chris Waters Rainmaker Alliance, if you want to watch these live. Bye, everybody. Want more CEO Secrets? If so, you can get a free copy of my book, The Million Dollar Real Estate Team, at www.themilliondollarrealestateteam.com for free. Inside this book, you'll find my top secrets that we've used to net $1 million in just three years.